the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the, uh, excuse me, the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego, also on Periscope. Thank you for tuning in on Periscope today. This is a big one. It's uh, it's Monday of Holy Week. It's been a long time. I always feel like I've been away for days and days and days. But first of all, I want to tell you a quick story. Some of you may not realize, of course, I work for the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Phyllis Schlafly was the founder of the organization back in the 1960s. I now run the organization with a bunch of great people. And across the country, there are eagles gathered, eagle leaders. We call ourselves the Eagles. And you go to phyllisschlafly.com. You can see they're all across the country. Every state has got volunteers, people who care about what's happening in this country, believe in the Constitution, believe in uh, the Bill of Rights, believe in the Judeo-Christian tradition, and believe in what's happening uh, for our country and for the world. However, I'm fed up today. And what you need to know is it's time for us to demand action. We need to see more action, more leadership. I've been a big fan of this president. I love the White House briefings. I think they're important, but they're stuck in the mud. And I'll just tell you before I get to that, what you need to know about it. Let me explain to you one thing. Have you heard of Norman Vincent Peale? If you're watching on Periscope, you're going to see me holding up a book. Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Norman Vincent Peale has sold t- millions of copies, probably up to 10 million copies now. And Peale was a, pa- a pastor in a church in New York City in Manhattan for decades, like 50 years. And Peale was the pastor of Marble Collegiate Church, and he, he popularized the Christian ethos of the American dream. He started with another friend, the Horatio Alger Society, which said that every man and woman can lift themselves up by their bootstraps in America. Why? Because the system is not rigged against any American. They were popularizing Horatio Alger stories that came about in the 1890s and early 1900s, which showed a shoeshine boy in New York City who made it into the, not even to the upper class, but into the middle class, got off the streets. And that was the Horatio Alger, the up by your bootstraps, the Horatio Alger myth that informed America and said the game is never rigged. You can make it if you work hard and push yourself in America. The rest of the world, it may it may depend if you're the son of the king or if your uh, father is related to the king's uh, the king's court or whatever it was. If you're related to the clergy, there were all kinds of rules in America. Everybody could make it. That's what Norman Vincent Peale did. And he was incredibly upbeat in this Holy Week. Let me say, though. He was a devout Christian pastor. He wasn't a prosperity gospel guy. He wasn't saying, if you think your way through, you'll make it. He believed in Christ. He believed in the gospel. And he believed in the informative power of the the word to change your lives. And then he said, if you believe, anything's possible. Now, let me be clear. This country was founded not only on on a vision that you have to be Christian. Never. It was, but it was founded on the Judeo-Christian tradition, and that's what we were born, brought, brought together for. So here's Norman Vincent Peale, and here's two things you don't know. Maybe you do now, because I've talked about it enough. He was a pastor all those decades. 
And starting in the 1950s, one family came to church every Sunday, every Sunday. And one son of that family came to church every Sunday after he grew up until Norman Vincent Peale died in the early 1980s. And after he died, that young man didn't go to church as much. Not so young at the time, maybe in his 30s. And that was the Trump family. Donald Trump's pastor was Norman Vincent Peale. And when you hear the president of the United States say uh, uh, from the podium, I'm optimistic, I'm positive, that's what I'm going to do. It's because he lived with this informed message of the power of positive thinking. Here's another thing you didn't know. I'm sorry to do these things you didn't know first, but I'm going to get to what you need to know. Is that the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I work, and we call ourselves the Eagles, the, the organization that I, we do all this work across the country, pro-life, pro-family, pro-America, uh, pro-constitution, pro-making a difference, pro-empowering families, all that stuff. She called herself the Eagles. You know why? Because she believed Eagles were special. But in 1968, she wrote a speech, gave a speech, and then I see the text of it, about how one of the people who inspired her was Norman Vincent Peale, his description of Eagles. He said, Eagles love storms. They go out into storms. Little birds go and hide. Eagles go out into storms. They use storms as a chance to go faster and higher and, and go further and to fight through it. Storms, Peale was writing, are what eagles want difficulties are what make eagles great phyllis schlafly continued this time is a challenge for our country it's extraordinary challenge right now we have a problem with a virus a bug we also have a problem with our economy we have a problem with our government we have a problem with too many institutions i was telling a friend of mine that i was so worried because too many institutions have been degraded by the left the left hates the institutions hates god hates marriage hates the family hates anything that has authority that keeps us going the right direction the boy scouts think about how the left has gutted the boy scouts systematically going through and trying to destroy the institutions that we rely on because we are human. We are one person and one man amongst all these. And we come together in a family as a marriage and a family and a, and a community and a neighborhood and a church. And uh, by the way, um, let me just digress one minute. It's a Monday. I'm rambling a bit. But my, my friend, Pastor Rob McCoy, Thousand Oaks, California, Cavalry Church. It used to be called Cavalry Church. I think it's called God Speak Church now, but he's a great pastor. And he's a city council member, or he was until Saturday, when after California and his own town said, you can't assemble, he said, I, re I resign. I won't serve man, you guys at the council or, or, or California's government, I'll serve my people. And his people had communion on Sunday, and they kept socially distant, and they, but he said over and over, essential services, you tell me, a liquor store is essential services, but the house of God isn't? Come on, man, quoting Joe Biden there. But here's the thing, here's what you need to know. It's time for us. We've been vigilant. We've been trusting. We are all those things. And I'm not calling for uh, anything other than I'm not calling for uh, uh, kind of unrest. I'm not calling for civil war. I'm not calling for any of that. What I'm saying, though, now is we have to demand from our leadership. They lied about the masks that Surgeon General should retire, re retire or resign. I don't care. He, should, he shouldn't be out there again. I saw that Dana Perino on Fox News was saying, what a great communicator the Surgeon General is and all that stuff. It's just jive. It's jive. She's, it's jive. He lied to us about the masks, the effectiveness of masks. Right now, we can't get a straight answer about hydroxychloroquine. Where are the, where are the, uh, where are the tablets? We know there's tens of millions of them. Are, is anybody taking them? Throughout the world, it appears to be having some effect, positive effect. And we're getting stuck with CNN debating us. Here's what you need to know right now. 
These are difficult times right now, but it's our time, meaning the people that love America, that love the Constitution, believe in we the people, believe in the binding, coming, the coming together of Americans around the, the Judeo-Christian values that center on the family, that center on God. It's time for us to demand more from our government. We're not getting enough from our government. They are telling us, patting us on the head. And I've been one saying we have to, we have to uh, trump and verify. We have to trump and verify, meaning trust and verify. I believe this president does not want to destroy the economy, does not want to uh, cause us to have undue hardship. I believe in the science of the coronavirus and the threat it is. I'm not denying any of that. But I am saying we, the people, are not being, gi- are not being given good enough leadership and given good enough communication to help ourselves and our neighbors understand what's happening. Don't send a tweet, as the president did earlier today, saying 30 days to isolation. It, it's, no, it's not working. We need more of a sense. How many ventilators short are we? Where is the hydrochlor- hydrochloroquine? What is working? What isn't working? Who's dying? Who's not dying? We have to have a change. I, from the beginning, believed that this president would do a masterful job of communicating in the White House press briefings like FDR did with the with the um, with the uh, fireside chats. And in some sense, he did. But at this point, the combination of too many experts, too many, too much jive, we're getting mostly too many bad questions from moronic media, the fakers, as the president says, we're getting more nonsense we're getting more uh just uh loudness it's the yelling of the crowd going into this week a lot of our country is going to be headed towards the holiest days of their church year and one of the things that happens is there's silence in the word when you listen silence at the right times you silence and you listen but before that there's sounds the words and we need better communication more than ever mr president all the people around him, Vice President Pence, we need better. We need better communication. We need to demand it as eagles. It's time for us to say, hey, we don't mind difficult times. We don't mind it. We expect it. We'll go out into the storms. But we need more clarity and more leadership. It's too much uncertainty, too much confusion, too much bureaucracy, frankly, too much swamp. I'm loath to say it because I don't think the swamp can ever beat Donald Trump. But right now it feels like the swamp between the swamp and the media. They fe- it feels like they're winning and we're losing. We can do better. And we've got an important week to do it in. All right. We've got to take a break, at least on the radio. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. One of my favorite people. I had him on my show. Actually, I was filling in for Breitbart Radio in the morning about three or four months ago. Dan Gaynor, who is over at the, uh, well, Newsbusters is the website that I tell people to go to. Newsbusters, newsbusters.org, excuse me. And uh, But it's the Media Research Center and uh, Brent Bozell and others, a lot of people there. But it's very good website. Uh, the only thing about it is after a while, you're like, I- I- these people are just crazy because it tracks the media. So welcome back, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm dealing with the, the crisis as best I can. I hope everybody listening is safe and, uh, you know, we're just fighting our way through it. 
Yeah, you know, one of the things, uh, Dan, that I saw was uh, Brent Bozell sent a letter uh, a few days ago um, to the president about $75 million in the uh, in the coronavirus um, you know, aid package that was designated for uh, public broadcasting, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And, and uh, I know some of it ends up at NPR and all. And, you know, it's classic uh, Brent Bozell digging in and his team digging in and figuring out what these details are. I, I, in a weird way, probably because I like this president, I don't blame him, although he had to sign it, of course. But uh, walk us through uh, how this. Let me ask you. Walk us through how this happens. Why? Why does PBS and 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 all get? Why are they able to get this money, even when it's supposed to be about essential services? Well, I mean, what happens is the bills get you know get porked up in Congress, and uh, you yeah. know, so technically, technically, all bills that that involve money start in the House. Well, you know who runs the House. Uh, Nancy Pelosi and Democrats, and they they want massive spending. I mean, massive spending, and they put in a ton of things that didn't make the final cut. But uh, Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which funds NPR and CBS and such, uh, tends to usually survive things like this. And the problem with it is these are liberal outlets. So radio stations around the country end up competing with NPR, TV stations around the country end up competing with PBS, and they're funded by your tax dollars. So your, right. your show competes with with the liberal version that is supported by your tax dollars. So they got seventy five million dollars to to do that in this, in this one. And here's the other scary: because people are lining up already for the next stimulus. And I'm saying right, this, right. this is this is the dirty, not so secret thing in Washington right now. Where <laughs> everybody is right. predicting that there's going to be another stimulus because apparently Congress, and I don't even really blame them in theory for this. The Congress has decided they're not going to let you know the, the stock market crash really badly, so they're going to pile just mountains of cash you know into into bailouts. But then, of course, who gets the bailout money? Is it any people? Is it businesses? Is it, and everybody lines up. So there's a, a big push by journalists to get part of the bailout. And I mean, New York Times has, it ran a piece, and Columbia Journalism Review, and all these different lefty outlets. And so that's scary in itself. And then the more you start digging into these outlets, the, the scarier it gets. NPR, I mean, just minutes ago, the story moved that NPR's new public editor, in other words, sort of like an ombudsman, is the gal from, from the Pointer Institute. Now, Pointer Institute uh-huh. used to be a pretty wonderful journalism think tank. They used to work for the organization that ran Pointer Institute. So, I mean, I'm not naturally anti it. But then last right. year, Pointer came out with a study uh, where they were trying to blacklist conservatives online. They had somebody who was working for Southern Poverty Law Center do a report for them. Uh, when we reported, it ended up on Drudge. And suddenly they, they started backing off some of the allegations in the report. Then they ended up backing off completely, pulling it down, issuing a public apology. And this is the person who's going to guide, you know, reader opinion at, at NPR. Right. 
We're talking with Dan Gaynor of the uh, Media Research Center. Um, Dan, what, uh, you know, I guess the point is that it's like old-fashioned log rolling, right? They start to roll these things in and everybody just kind of, uh, roll. but why did it, why didn't we have, I, I know the answer, but I like to say it like I, I want, like someone can enlighten me maybe, but we, you know, we got a Republican president who knew that uh, the, the, the NPR and everybody else was against him. We have Republican senators and, and for a minute, the Republican House um, that, you know, before we lost it after two years and they didn't do anything about it right they didn't i mean and it, and I, I tell people sometimes you just have to appeal to politicians based on what they care about which is their re-election and you they should care about the fact that npr and everybody else is is ramping up to hurt them but they don't i mean if you couldn't get rid of it when politically you know incorrect and and fire you know brand donald trump becomes president are we ever going to see npr and and the corporation for public broadcasting be limited are we ever going to have anybody in charge of it that's anybody except a career liberal swamp person. Well, I mean, the people who go into media are the ones that end up in charge of it. So probably not. And uh, are we going to get it restricted or, or deleted from the budget? I mean, probably not. Because you know, basically it took Donald Trump to really take on the abortion lobby and try to defund that. And even then he didn't get much help from Congress. Because remember, the GOP... In the Senate, as we saw, is really a marginal thing. I mean, it, you know, they, they don't have a, a real solid majority, and the majority is not of, of right-wing people who are going to cut budgets for NPR and PBS. It's some people like Romney and others like that who there's no way they're going to they're vote for that because they're kind of squishy in, in the middle. So what, what happens universally, in Washington is when the left takes over, they move their agenda forward. And when the right takes over, they kind of dig in their heels and try not to try not to move further to the left. You know, yeah. And, and, and I mean, Trump I, has changed that some, but, but the, the Congress is not on board with him changing. Uh, we're talking again with Dan Gaynor. And again, newsbusters.org, newsbusters.org. If you go there, you'll see on their front page lots of uh, the analysis I always enjoy is the, the stuff that's trending when they take a, when somebody has to suffer through watching uh, Morning Mika with Joe Scarborough and all those things. And they put up their, uh, you know, the kinds of crazy things they say. It's pretty fun to watch them to say that. Uh, but Dan, now uh, more broadly, and now we're talking again, Dan Gaynor, uh, Media Research Center, and more broadly, um, is the media, you know, we're, we're watching a lot of, um, media entities fail. You know, in my old hometown, St. Louis, the Post-Dispatch is dying. The newspaper's dying, right? And so that there goes the most liberal voice in the in the town, in a way, although, you know, it's not on TV or radio. Are we seeing the um, a shakeout? Is there hope? I mean, as we have more voices that come up online and you see the One America News start to move and Sinclair start to move with some alternate voices, are we seeing that? Or is the hammerlock by the big boys still, you know, kind of where it is? Well, I mean, it's it's not so much just a hammerlock by the big boys. A lot of the new entrants are backed by liberal money, and they're very openly liberal. Uh, in the you know years ago, before the internet, uh, you know, newspapers and news outlets tried to appeal to both sides somewhat, and they were they were liberal, but they still would make noises about it. But as they got online, they shifted left, and then social media shifted them further left. So now their right. their new strategy is to create a whole universe of lefty outlets that aren't even relying on advertising. So you don't don't even have you know sort of the profit motive of a way of bringing them in. 
Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, okay, but it also makes it so you can get YouTubers or or can you or, or or is your next is your next pivot? And we're, again, we're talking with Dan Gaynor, the Media Research Center. Um, maybe not a pivot, but the the power of big tech. Because I was going to say, well, at least you can get your voice out on on uh, social media by throwing up your own voices. But I suppose the threat there is that big tech blocks conservative voices, right? Oh yeah, we've been we've been fighting that for a few years now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's already yeah. a huge problem. And I mean, so what what has happened is a simple thing. The left the, the left was okay with other voices being available online until Donald Trump won in twenty sixteen. And then when they realized, oh wait a second, conservatives actually have voices online that are influential, then they decided to shut them down. And that's what they've been working online. They've been working in print. I mean, you mentioned St. Louis Post Dispatch, and they are one of the ones that is lobbying to shut down the media coverage of Trump's pressers. They editorialized right. about it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, and that, um, you know, I, I have my own critique. I, I kind of feel like the president's is sort of in a rut in those press conferences in terms of we're getting the same kinds of non-information. I've been asking for more. I've been demanding more the last day and last week. I just I feel like we're kind of stuck getting mumbo jumbo, but we need to get it. I mean, as you point out, it needs to stop and not be blocked. All right, Dan Gaynor, thank you as always for coming on the program. Newsbusters.org is the website. There's great stuff there. Brent Bozell's organization. Dan Gaynor, join us, and I will put it all up on social media so you can track it. It's a great resource uh, for seeing what's happening in the media and understanding the fault lines and the spaces to attack. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you soon. Thanks. I hope so. Take care. Bye. All right. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, you know, we talked in the past, what does it mean to be pro-America? We talk about these positions. Of course, I'm, pro, I'm very pro-life. Uh, it used to be in this country that you would have both parties, the Democrats would have pro-life uh, Democrats, and there were pro-life Republicans, there were even pro-abortion Republicans and pro-abortion Democrats. Well, there's sort of been a level a leavening and a, a shaking out, and there still are some at the local level. You, In my old home state in Missouri, you'll meet some Democrats from outstate that'll be pro-life. But the big news for me was, uh, and the, we, we, our next guest is a reporter for the National Catholic Register, and you can go to ncregister.com and see all their stories, and I'll put up uh, her recent story. Um, her name is L- Loretta Brown, and she wrote a piece a couple days ago about a, a story that I have written about, excuse me, I spoke about a few in covering it in the last few weeks, and that is Dan Lipinski, a congressman from Illinois who has been eight terms in office, pro-life, uh, always identified himself as pro-life, never hit it, Catholic guy, and he uh, lost his primary. Uh, they ran someone two times in a row. Last time he barely won, and this time he lost just a few weeks ago. So first of all, Loretta, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, so so this this piece you wrote and I and I was so interested because it was also an interview with Dan Lipinski. First of all, how did he seem? It was is he you know he he's had a long career in public office. Is he bitter about it? Is he angry about it? Is he resigned? Is he did you, what was your sense of his mindset? You know, I think I wouldn't say he was bitter or angry. I got a sense that he was disappointed, saddened by the state of things in the Democratic Party, um, especially with the abortion issue. Uh, but I, I also did get some optimism. You know, he, he reminded me at the end, like, I'm still in this. I'm still, you know, he still wants right. to go out and fight the pro-life fight. So he's, 
optimism yeah. and some disappointment. Well, and it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the Hyde Amendment. Of course, uh, Henry Hyde, an Illinois, longtime Illinois congressman who was the one who spearheaded that and had a long career. You know, I, I'm going to try to say this as carefully as I can. He had a long career in 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 the business, He was, but he was always pro-life. I mean, he's Republican, but, you know, he was he had he was on some of the spending stuff. Back then there were earmarks. There was all kinds of things. But on pro-life, he was rock solid and, and, and held the line. And so Lipinski is talking about him. That's a sort of echo of his own home state. But um, tell us a little bit about uh, his opponent and, you know, the contrast here of a of a pro-life Democrat who was otherwise pretty liberal. He voted for a lot. Dan Lipinski voted for a lot of the liberal priorities, really. Um, but his opponent is uh, is whom? Marie Newman. Um, and she, as you mentioned, this is the second time that they've that she's run against uh, Lipinski. And I think the the thing with her was that I noticed last time around and now this time around, it's just she had so much, uh, so many abortion advocacy groups and abortion packs just backing her and putting her name out there everywhere. And, you know, she just, I think, very much is in line with all the the Democratic priorities when it comes to abortion. And she almost led with that in some ways. So it's interesting um, because, yeah, it, it was just one of those things that I was seeing everywhere following this was, you know, narrow Planned Parenthood were saying, oh, Marie, Marie Newman's a champion. Marie Newman's, you know, they were they were pushing her name and they were putting a lot of money into her campaign. Um, so it was, yeah, they were opposites. I mean, Dan Lipinski was not, he's not only yeah. pro-life, but he's not afraid to talk about it. He's, and you're right, he's, um, in other ways, he he's a Democrat. There's a reason he's, you know, is a pro-life Democrat is he agrees with the Democratic yeah. Party on you know, a whole, <laughs> whole range of other issues. But um, on the abortion issue, he's very unapologetic about that. Well, and it's interesting, you know, you're, you're mentioning and, and he, he you asked him about this um, and he, he you know, he had the numbers. No surprise. If you know candidates and, you know, then, you know, a lot about, um, if you know, if you know, people who in, are, are politicians that either run for office or in office. They they know these things and especially him. He, he knew two two or three million dollars spent by NARAL and Emily's list against him, you know, in a in a in a Democrat primary. Right. I mean, and, and here's here's one thing I wonder. And I, I, I don't see it in the comments that he made, but. He re- usually the Democrats, uh, either party leadership will try to hold their own. In other words, they won't let the base go after them. But, uh, you know, the, you know, so that Nancy Pelosi could have been the one that uh, that held him instead, if you get my point. I mean, the the, uh, you know, and she could have signaled to Nayral, don't do that. You Nayral, you come around my office looking for access and looking for things. Don't do that to one of my members. She finally cut him loose. I mean, she clearly let them let them go after him. And did you sense that he realized that the leadership had abandoned him there's no there's no freelancing in washington if you're trying to influence the house the the speaker can tell you to stand down and she clearly didn't do that well yeah it's interesting she actually did do that last time so the first time marie ran against him she did back him and you know i think there's something to that idea that more and more uh democrats were abandoning him there are democrats in the house that were Dan Lipinski's friends, allies for years and years and years. And I noticed it was starting to shift to the last time around he ran. And then this time around, it was very significant was just that they were doubling down on the abortion issue. They were deciding, they, you know, a lot of them made a choice. I don't know about obviously like Pelosi specifically, but they made a choice not to, 
to prioritize this and not to, to back him because I think of maybe something they're sensing in the climate of their party or the influence that these abortion groups have. Um, so it's mm-hmm. just interesting to see. And he made a note of that, too, is just the difference in the Democratic Party between like the vote they had when the Affordable Care Act was um, going through. Right, and he had right. fought to, to put in the Stupak Amendment and, you know, a bunch of Democrats stood with him then, a whole bunch. And then, you know, when he pushed for a similar no taxpayer funding for abortion um, legislation, he said there was like four, four Democrats as opposed to 60-something. <laughs> so, wow. And that's yeah. within the span of it is, like six years. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Loretta Brown, uh, who is uh, with the National Catholic Register. Uh, She's the Washington, D.C., one of the reporters there. And it's at Loretta Brown, number six on Twitter, if you want to follow her there. But also her writing is at ncregister.com. And we're talking about Dan Lipinski. And I guess um, when you say at the end, he says he's still in it. I mean, he he, what is he? Do you get a sense what his future is? There's not a future in the Democrat Party. He doesn't have sort of moderate enough positions uh, to decide to switch parties. Right. So I'm not sure where is his home is he just we're going to retire and teach and write books or what does he think there's a a political future too so i don't know for sure i will say that he has nine months months left in congress and i think he i think he's open to like teaching a political like he's leaving his options open and it what the only thing Uh for sure that he said to me was he wanted to continue to work to promote a culture of life to to help the pro-life movement so whether that's in teaching or politics i do think one thing he mentioned that i thought was really interesting was that he said it was just it was one of the biggest like most important things for the pro-life movement to be inclusive of those who don't agree on everything so he's saying there should be pro-life democrats there should be you know, maybe pro-lifers who are so out there politically, they're not <laughs> Democrat, Republican, you know, like pro-lifers who, because we're coming, yeah. we're uniting behind, you know, a, a ending abortion um, in the pro-life movement. So that's, that was what he was saying. That should be the emphasis and it should be welcoming. And yeah. I mean, you just have to wonder at this point between, you know, Marie Newman, his opponent, who now will be in Congress, she was aligned with at least with uh, AOC and the new, the younger sort of more, pro, quote unquote, progressive. But even more interesting to me is he, he commented just a sort of bit of a throwaway and uh, halfway through. Again, we're talking with Loretta Brown and her uh, pieces at ncregister.com. I'll put it up on social media. But he said, um, you know, even Joe Biden who had had decades of being a so-called pro-life-ish Catholic and made a big point out of supporting the Hyde Amendment, other things. And, and as soon as he ran for president in this era, he had to roll that all back. And this is that, you know, that his line in this is that it's exemplified in the fact that Joe Biden, when he announced he's running for president, felt that he needed to change his decades long position and on, on, on taxpayer funding and abortion for abortion. This is Dan Lipinski talking. It's hard to see how the Democrat Party makes room for Lipinski. They couldn't. T- he voted for the Affordable Care Act. He voted for all the spending things Dan Lipinski did. I don't know where he carves the space uh, in that party right now. Yeah, I think it's. It's not looking good for pro-life Democrats in a lot of ways. I mean, I asked him, I asked him about remaining Democrats that were, you know, he either called pro-life or sympathetic, and he named three. Um, and I'm somewhat familiar with <laughs> yeah. their records. And you know, uh-huh. I would say, yeah, those those three have at least on most things voted in a pro-life direction, which is which is nice. It's good that there's yeah. <laughs> a few um, something, but yeah. Yeah, um, but you know, I've talked a lot too with um, Kristen Day, who's um, part of 
the pro-life Democrat group. Um, and she, yeah, she's just also, I think, frustrated, especially with this you know, 2020 election, the rhetoric on abortion, how all, I mean, I wrote on this, I've been writing on this just because it is taking me aback. It's just the extreme rhetoric, the presidential candidates, <laughs> and like he mentioned, yeah. exemplified by Biden, but it's, Every single one of them had to fall into line to, you know, abortion up to birth, no restrictions, essentially, you know, with maybe a few of them making a comment here or there about, oh, you know, like they they weren't when the New York Times asked them to place a restriction on abortion, they wouldn't, you know, the the whole lineup of 2020 candidates. So it's it's just yeah, you're right. The party is such that. There's not, there does not seem to be a lot of room for pro-lifers like Lipinski. But that being yeah. said, you know, I think it's good that there still there are still Democrats who are trying to fight for inclusion, the inclusion of pro-lifers. Because I mean, Pelosi in the past has talked about also about that that's important. She's been asked about pro-life Democrats repeatedly in the past, and she's even mentioned that there are members of her own family who are pro-life and that she yeah. recognizes, you know, she recognizes that that's a very like, strongly held belief for people. Um, so it's interesting that, I mean, maybe she'll change her rhetoric on that. I don't know. Maybe the next time they ask her, yeah. she'll say, you know, something along the lines change, of what yeah. Sanders said, which is just, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. sorry. We, <laughs> no room. Um, but yeah. I think. I don't know. It's going to be a lot. It's, it's a long pipe. Yeah, that seems like a long path. All right, thank you. Loretta Brown, National Catholic Register. We'll put it up on social media. Thank you very much for your reporting on this. A very interesting topic and uh, about the parties, and it'll be interesting to watch out this year. So we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Thanks to globalism, the Wuhan coronavirus easily swept across the world like wildfire. Exposure quickly jumped from open border to open border, afflicting nations around the world and many in the United States. Yet it all started from one poor district in China. Make no mistake that globalism is what makes the unclean eating practices of distant China a threat to the health and safety of all Americans. This is not the first time an outbreak of a disease far away has caused panic and death within our nation. Don't forget the Ebola virus that came from Africa in October of 2014. This Wuhan coronavirus is an especially nasty virus as far as contagions go. Unlike others that spread only through bodily fluids, it spreads through the respiratory system. Obviously, it's a lot harder to contain a virus if it's spread by the very act of breathing. However, breathing could only take the coronavirus so far. It took the unrestricted migration policies touted by the globalists to get the virus across the Pacific. This Wuhan coronavirus tragedy has very ironic timing. It came just as a new trade deal with China was negotiated by President Trump. While that certainly means a lot for American industry, it means a lot for American health and safety, too. Trump recognizes that we have to control our interactions with China if we're going to control the diseases. If we embrace the globalist lie that the world cannot stop the trend toward a one-world government with no borders and no trade restrictions, there's nothing stopping viruses like the Wuhan coronavirus. 
We simply cannot afford to mess around with deadly pathogens like this. Democrats may try to politicize this tragedy as though Trump himself ordered the open-air Chinese meat market to sell meat from cats and bats and snakes, but that's ludicrous. We can't force China to rise to American standards of health and safety, but we can take common-sense steps to ensure that those diseases don't make it to our shores. If you want someone who will keep you safe, rather than turning a deadly disease into a political tool, look to President Trump. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Illegal immigration burdens our schools and social services and opens doors to criminals and terrorists. Outdated visa programs divert jobs from Americans. PhyllisSchlafly.com chronicles these outrageous unfair practices and provides answers. Go online to PhyllisSchlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Great guests. As always, don't forget, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to get the show and follow us and all that. Or go to EdMartinLive.com. You go to EdMartinLive.com and you will be uh, get yourself added to our list. You get a daily email in the morning, every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time. And also, of course, you can uh, go to EdMartinLive. You'll see each of the segments as a uh, uh, standalone. So thank you for uh, doing all that and, and pass the word. If you follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, you will see the Periscope for the first part of the show is pretty popular today. I think my being fired up and torqued up, people are already passing it around. So uh, that was a, that was a good one. Now, listen, I do want to comment on this one. This is a story that um, I have been already working for three months, four months, longer, probably six months, thinking about the um, convention. The Republican National Convention is in August uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the reason I care about it, besides the president's going to be renominated, is I care about the platform. The platform of the Republican Party, which is pro-life and uh, pro-constitution and pro-family and pro-marriage. It's the last pro-America platform. Well, I guess it's pro-America, but it's the last great conservative platform in the world, in my opinion, of a major party. There's some smaller parties in other parts of the world. I guess in Hungary, they might... uh, the Fidesz has a pretty good one. But anyway, I, I care about that. And the platform committee meets at the convention. Well, I've been wondering what the Democrats were going to do with their convention, which was scheduled for June, middle of June in Milwaukee. Well, it turns out that they've canceled it uh, and they've delayed it. And in delaying it, um, they have uh, decided that they're going to do it sometime in August. And so here is an exchange this morning. Earlier today, the president tweeted something about Joe Biden wanted the date for the Democrat National Convention moved to a later time period. Now he wants a virtual convention, one where he doesn't have to show up. Gee, I wonder why. Now, it is extraordinary to watch the major party candidate, presumptive nominee, uh, uh, Joe Biden, uh, stuck in his basement, literally admitting he's stuck in his basement. He doesn't even you know what's crazy about this? You know how stupid people are. People are really stupid. Joe Biden has more money in his campaign coffers now because he's ahead than he ever did. He should rent a store, a storefront in, in a mile away from his house, two miles away from his house and drive there and do and have a studio, which looks and feels like a studio. He literally feels like he's in his basement with uh, Chris Cuomo, you know, who's hiding out in his basement because he has coronavirus and it doesn't feel presidential. And after a while, you can't escape from the fact that it feels so pathetically unpresidential. 
I mean, it's really lame. And my point here is if I'm though, if I'm him, uh, I, I think you have to try to do something to change the dynamic. Well, that's what President, uh, uh, the President Trump does with his, uh, this tweet because immediately Biden uh, tweeted back something that didn't make any sense and all. But the fact is that the message is hammered home by everybody now that Joe Biden is not ready for prime time. And now, because of the coronavirus, the situation, he's not even going to have a chance to be primetime. I heard today that the, the first presidential debate will be in September at Notre Dame. The University of Notre Dame is supposed to host, host that debate. I got to think that the debates will go forward. It's far enough away and they can control the environment. But before that, I, I don't know if Biden is he going to have a virtual convention. Are they going to have primaries tomorrow in Wisconsin? They're going to have a primary. And already they're saying the votes are just a disaster. It's a mess because they can't figure out if everyone's going to vote. How bad is turnout going to be? I mean, the point here is President Trump has honed in on the fact that there's no good answer if you're uh, if you're um, if you are uh, Joe Biden for what's going on. You don't have a way to show, you know, get yourself change the dynamic. You don't have any real way to uh, to kind of make things look right. And so he's he's honed in on that. It's kind of fun. It's kind of funny, but it's also a real problem for that campaign. And they know it. They know it. Uh, they know that there's a problem. And in, in some crazy way, Biden's actually being protected by the circumstances, because if he had to be out and about, He'd be even more embarrassing. He'd be even more embarrassed. And instead, he's sort of hiding out at home in his basement, literally. You know, he did an interview last week, and he said, I'm in touch with my five grandkids. And he has seven grandkids, and everybody jumped on him. Now, he might have meant that there's five that live nearby. I don't know. But it just comes off. It's just like they're picking him apart, and uh, and the Republicans are loving it. So, all right. Well, listen, thank you for listening. As always, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Track the show. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, for keeping everything on track. And we will be back tomorrow. Thank you to Joanna and Ryan out in St. Louis for helping produce the program, book guests, and uh Hope you'll join me tomorrow night, same time. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.